Hello everybody, my name is Anne Teato and welcome to the Psychic Matters podcast episode number 28. In this episode, I'm talking to my guest Jacob Cooper about his near-death experience as a toddler, which impacted the entirety of his life, lifting the veil between two worlds and giving him an insight into immortality. Jacob talks to us of how a near-death experience, or NDE as they are known, helped him to discover that consciousness continues after death, and importantly, that we cannot be defined by age, culture, race or circumstance, and that our unique soul can never be damaged or hurt, but will triumph. Get to know your guides, says Jacob, for they are the closest thing that we know to our own soul. Before I begin, let me tell you about a two-day tarot workshop I have coming up with the incredibly talented tarot tutor, Leslie Malone. This workshop is suitable for intermediate level students and above, and it's called The Wheel of the Year. As psychics, we have the ability to interpret the world around us using our sixth sense, gut feeling or intuition, and we can use a tarot deck as a signpost to highlight that which we intuitively feel. The Wheel of the Year spread is a powerful tool to use when we wish to see where our client has been and where they're going on their personal journey. By looking at the year ahead, we can take a deeper look at what the next 12 months might hold to gain insight, get clarity, find resolution and help our client make a transformation. It's a two-day workshop and it takes place on Zoom with mini tutorials, exercises and breakout groups and you will have an opportunity to work with other students from across the globe. Once again, it's a two-day workshop for intermediate to advanced level students and it takes place on Saturday the 20th of March and Saturday the 27th of March. It begins at 2pm UK time zone, 2 to 7pm over here in the UK time zone and it will take place on Zoom. If you would like to book for that workshop, please do head over to my website anteato.com I can't speak, A-N-N-T-H-E-A-T-O dot com slash events slash tarot dash the dash wheel dash of dash the dash year. (laughs) That's where you can find it. Gosh, what a long URL address that is. Alternatively, just go to anteata.com and head um, pull down the menu that says online events and you'll find all the details there. So back to the Psychic Matters studio. I'm in the Psychic Matters studio today with Jacob Cooper. Jacob is a clinical social worker, a hypnotherapist, and he specializes in past life regression therapy. He is now the author of a brand new book called Life After Breath. Jacob Cooper, welcome to Psychic Matters. It's such an honor to be here in the new year, and I'm very excited to be chatting with you on my new book and um, to just kind of talk a little bit about it. 
Cool. Well, go ahead and tell us where you got the inspiration from. And I mean, they say everybody has a book inside them, right? But where did yours come from and why did you write it? It's a wonderful question. It took me many years to really find the belief system that I could do this, that I had a book in me. I would say that, uh, you know, within my near-death experience, and I talk a little bit about this in my book of the angels that I encountered, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but there's so many angels in human form that have really inspired me. One of them that I speak about towards the end of my book is my dear friend, Robert, who is a renowned medium. And the moment he met me, on air, he saw something in me, and he was always on me to write a book and to get it out there. And in a way, I wanted kind of like the planet Pluto, which rules Scorpio. It's a planet of honoring the dead. This book was not just honoring those who are, who are close to me that passed away and their impact on me, but also the concept of death, the concept that we are eternal, that we go on, you know, we don't die. And so from a firsthand near-death experience that I had, that I speak about the book, I wanted to kind of honor that transformation and to kind of reframe how we see it in today. Uh, but it's, it's just an honor and very surreal to have this in front of me right here. Yeah, it uh, looks great. It really does look good. Beautiful cover. Yeah. The other way that I wrote this book was, you know, for for interested writers is you have ideas, you have right effort, you have right intention. But ultimately, when you're doing this kind of work, it comes from a higher dimension. And so I say that, you know, higher consciousness or God or whatever you kind of label it as was was a big support system within getting this book out the way that it did it's very much channeled you know and guided how long did it take you to write because it covers quite a lot of your lifespan doesn't it so did you write a diary or is this from memory yeah. or you say it's cha- some of it is channeled there's two kind of books that you write there's two parts of it now, the first part is a literary proposal which you send out to publishing companies and that was accepted by my current publisher Waterside Productions which is a publishing company in Southern California and I was able to get the same literary agent as Eckhart Tolle, Neil Donald Walsh, his name is you know, William Gladstone and he runs this company. So the proposal is a big part. That probably took me longer than the actual manuscript because within the proposal, you know, it's a couple sample sample chapters, chapter summaries, you know, strategies, but the devil is in detail. Everything has to be pristine and perfect, especially a first-time author to get accepted. You know, together working with an editor who used to work for HarperCollins, you know, that took me almost, you know, a couple months to a year. Now, finishing up the rest of the manuscript was easy because the proposal, not only did that help me to get with this publishing company, but it laid the foundation for the book. From my perspective professionally, working as a psychotherapist to writing this book, foundation is everything. When you have that foundation, the rest is easy. And so getting that foundation right uh, made the rest all easy. And after that, discipline, you know, having a consistency in your schedule and working when you don't write 200 pages in one sitting, it's one chapter, one page at a time that was able to get this done. Sure. And so you talk in the book, without giving the content away, obviously, but you talk in the book about having a near-death experience as a very young child. Do you want to say a little bit about that, Jake? Sure. The term near-death experience was really broadcast um, and diagnosed by the man by the name of Dr. Raymond Moody, who is actually on my cover of my book and uh, I'm friendly with. But he coined the term in his best-selling book, 
Life After Life in 1975. And so for those of you who might have had a near-death experience, I highly recommend checking out Dr. Raymond Moody's work to kind of understand some of the different criteria that fits the mold of a near-death experience. Because it's not just like you were driving your car and you almost died. You know, this near-death experience usually is when the physical body shuts down and all capacities of it are gone and you still have consciousness when you shouldn't. You know, so it kind of defies the logic that consciousness is produced by the brain and the body when the brain and the body are very limited or not there. And so having this experience, to preface this, it didn't come from a three-year-old personality, you know, Jake, when I was experiencing this. I do believe there's an eternal soul that we carry at all ages that, that is not defined by the body or our current linear age. And so this experience was 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 seen from the windows and the eyes of my soul, which I experienced in my Indian, I talked about, went beyond this body and will go on far after. And so that's when I kind of had it. But just for people interested, how I had this experience was I was I had an upper respiratory virus called pertussis, or generically known as whooping cough. And left untreated, that could be fatal for an infant. I literally was climbing up a ladder to a slide, and I suffocated. And once I suffocated, every part of my body shut down, including my brain. And my brain literally, I felt it crack in half to the deprivation of oxygen. And as the saying goes, my brain cracked and God came in, so to speak. And literally, that's what happened to me. Uh, and this was in a playground, and I was an infant. There's so many different ties that I speak about in this book, as well as my next upcoming book that I'm working on. Uh, this upcoming book is kind of, this current book is really kind of goes into the experience, as well as, more importantly, how psychosociologically I was able to integrate the experience in my lifetime. And I know you, from your discussion, you read it. I did this purposely because near-death experiencers are, people have a very hard time kind of relating to them if they, if they don't have that experience. And so I wanted to make this as very real and human as I could to really empower others to tap into that eternal part of them that uh, is always there that never left them. Sometimes it's through adversity or shakeup of consciousness that we experience that, but that is not necessary to have a knowing of our eternity. But you describe it so beautifully in the book because you go into great detail about what you sensed, what you saw, the types of beings that you felt around you, how you could look down upon your body lying there and see everything that was going on and how you experienced the experience from multiple viewpoints. Absolutely. When I crossed over to the other side, it's not like I all of a sudden became a transformed being. My awareness of what around me was magnified, right? You know, just in terms of seeing the celestial beings, my spiritual guides that I speak about, all the angels in front of me, but the inner dialogue, the inner processor, you know, what I call the sacred eternal observer or the soul was always there. And it even had a form that I was able to really detect when I was looking at the side of my body. And so there's like a field that I was able to feel within form. And so what I'm trying to get at is when we die, our awareness or not die, when we are reborn, I would say, our awareness is magnified and heightened and we are in a quite a euphoric state. But who we are continues to carry over and that continues to evolve and grow and to be you know, healed when we cross over. So it's not like we magically transform to an angel when we go there. And so the point where I'm trying to get at is I really understand this earth school from my experience as almost kind of like a training school to be a guide or a higher being. 
you know, and the more that we're able to evolve, you know, that inner being of ourselves, the more that we're able to kind of translate it to, you know, higher dimensions and, you know, and evolve our work and this eternal journey that we call life. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. And so that happened when you were very young. So did you speak of that experience to people around you? Or um, how did that impact your life as you started to grow up? For viewers interested, I would highly recommend the work of an author by the name of PMH Atwater. And one of her books is called Forever Angels. Which Could you spell her name? Because her first yeah. name is unusual. Yeah. PMH Atwater. And she has a book called Forever Angel, The Forever Angels. She's a world-renowned, you know, near-death experience researcher. And that book in particular kind of specializes in childhood and in infant near-death experiences. But from hearing PMH Atwater talk, it takes around 20 to 30 years for a child or an infant to really integrate and process their experience. And so for myself, to answer your question, there was an internalization of it and a suppression, at times repression, of it. Um, but it wasn't until I was able to pick up a book by the author by the name of Betty Aidy, who wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Embraced by the Light, in kind of my late teens, early 20s, that I was able to have a diagnosis of my experience. I wasn't able to label it, and there was no universality behind my experience. It was very isolating and something that I kept very hidden. And as we know, and I'm sure you've experienced with a gift or, 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 or a transformative experience, there's only a certain amount of time that you can that you could put the beach ball under the water. Eventually it has to pop up whether you like it or not. And so when timing was right, when I was ready, that happened. But um, there was quite a lot of agitation that I experienced. And I'd speak about this a little bit in my book. Growing up, I was quite rebellious. There was an anger unexplained in myself because I really wasn't able to have a lexicon and a verbalization of it. And even seeing therapists all my life, I just really push it in the back burner and try to bury it to kind of fit in. And so it wasn't until I was empowered that I was able to give an empowered relay of the message of what I experienced. Let's go back a little. I know in the book you speak about growing up and you attended a Jewish school and then you, you moved schools for various reasons. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Sure. Now, I come from multi-generations of social workers and therapists in which we value tradition, organization, you know, religion, education, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we more so believe in the here now than the hereafter, but it's very much a family of service and, and of giving. And so certainly that was an impetus and influence on the work that I do in my book. But I was always different and people didn't know how to label me. And so internally, I was always very frustrated. I just couldn't express it. People kind of programmed me on a God that was monopolized by faith and not, not a God that was empowered or, or had an internal personal connection to each and every person. And so I kind of was kind of taught to kind of believe in a system outside of myself and a God outside of myself and a transactional, very human God with, with flaws and jealousy and, and anger and, you know, kind of chauvinistic kind of portrayal of it uh, and not the eternal you know, God that I experienced at a young age. And it was it was quite a conflict, to say the least. And I was a rebel from day one against uh, kind of like the faith that I was brought up in. And there's a wonderful saying that the afterlife and God exists not because of religion, but despite of it, right? And I always right. live by those words and believe in that. Yeah, that's good. So coming into the work that you're doing now, you're doing 
you're specializing in past life regression and you've worked as a psychotherapist, would it be fair to say that your early experience as a, as a young child influenced your choice of career path? Yes. You know, and, and also the near-death experience that I had informed almost every single decision that I make in my life. To me, that was the ultimate classroom. Um, and no disrespect to the school systems or family that I was born into. But for me, that was the ultimate school system. The reason why I say that is, you know, I'll give a little bit of a taste of the experience. I experienced the angelic realm and the selfless love that was given by the angels and my spiritual guides. And from a very early age, I understood that this was very much a soul experience. That, And why I say that is when I talk about the soul, uh, the real goal is to put the me and the we and to be of service and to have a ripple effect of your lifetime on others. And I understood that when people see themselves of, their, of the soul, you know, they'll kind of focus not so much on how it all impacts my body, my bank account, you know, my ego, but rather the ultimate currency as how the ripple effect impacts other people. And so certainly born into a family of both parents who were very giving and uh, specialized in helping others, that certainly was, was an influence. Uh, but past life regression in particular was something that I was quite influenced by my lifetime. And I speak about this in my book, where almost kind of I was haunted by past life memories that were quite uncomfortable at the time. And also, as a young infant, having this experience, I was able to really understand the, the soul for so much more of the chronological age. And so, you know, being in the field of mental health and understanding positive psychology, the number one question is, outside is what happens when we die is why, is, why am I here? And so it's hard to kind of live our full potential if you've been acting on how we've, how we've been perceived and who we've been taught that we are and not truly connected to who we truly are. And so past life regression, I view as a form of soul therapy to kind of expand our awareness of the self to better understand our purpose and how we could really be in the groove of our eternal infinite soul. Sure, that's a good explanation. And so if somebody came to you, Jacob, for a past life regression session, how, what, what would happen for them? You know, it's, it's case by case um, situations. You know, people come to me for, for different reasons. But normally with past life regressions, there's two clients that come to me. There's a client that wants to kind of be entertained or is curious of it. You know, that's kind of one kind of client. And the other client is quite motivated where they've tried every trick of the trade. They've tried every modality, you know, but it's the last stop on the train and it hasn't worked. And I know Dr. Brian Weiss speaks about this along with, you know, the late Dolores Cannon, you know, how past life regression really could, you know, is a great way to kind of explain the unexplained. You know, there's certain, you know, either it's, it's health tendencies or family patterns or, or different parts of our lifetime that we're uncertain about. And it could give you know, a greater kind of awareness as to some of those patterns so that some of those greater messages are no longer needed to be repeated from awareness and lessons being embraced. And so I look at it as a great tool uh, to evolve ourselves multidimensionally, um, you know, as a, as, as a soulful being, uh, you know, and I, I do believe that's a big part of why we're here is, is evolving and, and growing. 
Sure. So, but what is the process if somebody comes and says, right, Jacob, I'm booking in with you. I'm going to lie on your lovely couch here in your, in your beautiful healing office. (laughs) What is the process? Because some people don't know they've never had a past life regression session. So, you know, past life regression is a form of hypnotherapy. I think that's important to understand. So I was trained formally uh, as a certified hypnotist, hypnotherapist, but I received a a specializational training as, as a side of it, a past life regression. Now, past life regression for men like um, very relaxing guided meditation, and that's a process of going through hypnotic inductions and getting people to get into the deeper hypnoidal states. You know, but then after that, within an individual session, it's very much interactive, where you know we kind of have people kind of describe what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, and I take notes and I document. Uh, and so some of my clients might remember what they have. Some of them are very deep in their hypnoidal states that they, they're not cognizant or aware when they're taking out of those deeper hypnoidal states. You know, it's almost as kind of like a therapy session where afterwards we kind of recap kind of what we have. And I give also hypnotic suggestions for people to kind of be cognizant of, you know, that relate to it. But there's a process of an intake that I have with particular clients, understanding maybe parts of the world or or colors they might gravitate to, to get them in a more comfortable state, you know, and then it's very much interactive through an individual session. Group is a little bit more complicated in terms of the interactive because it's, you know, 40, 50 people, you can't go with them individually. So you have to kind of keep it generalized, but, you know, usually in groups that have like an interactive QA component or, or sharing to kind of create more ownership of the regression. Sure. And then what do people, what are people saying afterwards that they've gotten out of the sessions? Normally people who come to me will, will say that they're a lot more aware of tendencies, whether they're more aware of the difficult person in their life and they're able to kind of see through past the behavior. They're able to understand some of the karmic ties that they might have with people, you know, through relationships or some health tendencies, as well as a, a defined sense of purpose. And um, it's not all pathologically based. A lot of times people are able to take more empowerment to some of the greater gifts that they've worked on through hard work that they have in their storehouse to be able to come forward. You know, it could also be as simple as falling in love with the part of the world that you haven't visited to visited yet that you're connected to, you know, and, and going to that particular place and having that as a part of your greater story and self-identity. A lot of it, too, is just letting go of the narrative of, of who we really have held on to and expanding it past the one page of how we see ourselves to get into prior chapters and more of an understanding of our entire in, of our book in its entirety. Sure. And so for yourself, then, you've gone on this wonderful journey. You've gone to the other realm or realms. So where do you see yourself? Talk to us a little bit more about immortality and the soul. You know, that that is a wonderful concept. And I know f- when you read the book, I was able to show direct, directly and indirectly how I was able to integrate that. I do believe um, truly uh, when people talk about their soul's purpose, a lot of it's so much as letting go of the amnesia once the soul leaves the waters of the other side and comes to this earth plane is to remember that simple truth that we can never be hurt nor damaged. There's an inner part of us that will triumph and go through anything that life throws at us. I think part of that is being able to integrate that in those moments between the stimuli or the kind of uh, stressor that we face 
and how we engage and respond to that. And so, you know, spirituality with, with practicality is quite resourceful. And I use that as one of the impetuses in, in teachings of the superpowers of resilience. And I speak about this certainly as a ther- therapist, certainly the, the capacity to come through adverse situations and, and go through them and not to be knocked down and, and to kind of be apathetic and give up. And so within life situations, we all, no matter who we are, no one's immune to the human experience of getting shaken up or having a situation happen, you know, finance, relationship, you know, house closing, you know, whatever it might be, losing a job. But I think if we're able to understand remembering the eternity of who we are and to remembering the embodiment of the God that we want to relate to, the God that we want to kind of model ourselves after, which to me is filling that space beyond a transactional form of love to an unconditional form of love, you know, we're able to really evolve, you know, ourselves. And thus we could really relate to other people's experiences better through evolving love, which is loving ourselves even when we're kicked down in those difficult moments. It's very easy to love ourselves when we're sky high and everything's going well. And so I think so much of this is to really tap into that divinity within that we all have and evolve that point so that, you know, we do cross over. There's a part of that divinity that's that's grown from the evolved love, you know, that we kind of integrate within this lifetime. Sure. So how do we do that? So we're going along with our lives and we're having some very challenging times. And so how do we remember that we're a soul being in the times where we're so human and suffering so badly? How do we transcend? I think, you know, I don't want to bypass suffering. I think suffering is important to go through. I say feelings influence healings. The issue is, is when those feelings just sit and they don't kind of acquit and they don't release ourselves. And so there's so many different modalities. And I was very, in, you know, inspired to do this in my own work where, you know, there's a lot of different tools to release this. I always believe that if garbage just sits in our home, it tends to stink up. And so I do believe it's important from the ground up to go through those progressions, to not bypass those points. But I would say is, you know, to kind of implement NLP work or CB cognitive behavioral therapy work, you know, to utilize. And so for instance, each and every time we're feeling that we're not seeing past this, that we're stuck, you know, that it's not going to go through it. I think it's important to kind of step back and allow those thoughts to kind of run their course to get back in their body, to get back into our breath, and to, even if it's just a catchphrase that we bear in mind, such as this too shall pass, I am eternal, I can't be damaged, I will go on, I've lived many lifetimes, died many deaths, and here I am today, and it all works out. But I think we have to be able to integrate and implement, if if that's a thigh energy, if that's a wristband that might just say eternity and you snap it, whatever that might be, because that's quite important. Certainly being in the field of mental health, and I speak a little bit about this more in my book, I have an understanding uh, of suffering as it relates to giving, and I don't want to say giving up, but, you know, engaging in suicidal behaviors or, you know, committing suicide. And I think truly that comes from people forgetting, you know, that message that they give a lot more power over to the world outside of them than to the world inside of them. And I think it's very important to re remember that world. And the more that that world grows, the more that we're able to have a force field behind us to manage and mitigate the world outside of us. 
And it's very important to to continually evolve and develop that world. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've been in those very dark places where suicidal thoughts have been very present within me at times of my life. And I think it's very difficult when you're in that space to find the light and find the brightness. Mm -hmm. So perhaps what you're saying is it's better to, before those thoughts become so all-encompassing, to remember your divinity. Remember that, but also, you know, being able to, you know, formulate a vocabulary behind your experiences um, and to have a, a release point. Like you said, it becomes very overwhelming, you know, and so that hot air balloon has bricks in it and it can't take off and you feel very much stuck. So I think if it's just simply just writing down an angry letter or writing down your thoughts, um, because they tend to kind of sit on this heavy cloud of endless suffering, I think if we're able to organize it and kind of really verbalize what's inside of us, um, it doesn't necessarily go away, but it becomes a little bit easier. We're cognizant of what's happening. And once we're able to do that, we could say, okay, this is what's happening. You know, how could I work with whether it's, you know, coming to a therapy session or something else, because I could really continue to recycle these thoughts. But, you know, my current affect and my current state is not going to change until I change my thoughts, influencing my feelings and behaviors. And so I think it's very important to be able to have a language, have a, a way to kind of release some of that, you know, in a way. And, you know, if you're feeling all those thoughts, obviously being able to, um, have the courage and stamina and strength to receive professional guidance and help, you know, to get you to get your power back in your life when it feels like it's been taken away. Yes, when you haven't got the strength yourself to seek the help that can that you need to help you get out of that um, right. that those repeating thoughts. Right. Um, so, so, talk to us then, Jacob, about your own past lives. So. Do you, have you had experience? Have you been regressed yourself by others? What, what sort of things have you experienced? I, yeah, I think in our world, we're taught to be Mr. Atlas and handle all life on our own. And that defines a strong person. And really from my near-death experience, I understood that there's so much around us at all times. And this is not an isolative experience. And the strongest people in those darkest moments, you know, are able to ask for help. And so I think it's it's very important to understand and destigmatize you know, the process of asking for help and guidance, whether it be those in the satellites of the heavens or those here on the earth plane, you know, that could empower us and, and take the power back. But within my book, I'd speak about, you know, a most recent past life that I lived, which evidentially a couple of psychics and mediums have been able to pick up without me saying a word on in the exact kind of series of events and kind of what happened. For me, that last lifetime was a lifetime where I was kind of like a teacher of, of many different students. And I kind of had what's called a hubris where I guess I got too overconfident or too cocky myself. And I just sabotaged in a way or just kind of the arrogance led to my own demise. And I was really cut in a dark place. And I guess I made some violations of some sorts and I took my own life. And so this was a running theme throughout my childhood where whether through dream state, waking state, I would constantly be in the same room and see the people around me and constantly see how I took my own life. And this was validated years later in my late teens, early 20s by numerous different intuitives. And so I understand part of the reason behind having my experience was on a personal level to kind of teach you know, my soul from being in the deprivation of oxygen and suffocating my near-death experience 
to understand that once we lose everything, we're, we have to remember that we're connected to eternity, that we're connected to everything. And really, there's no such thing as, as darkness unless we give it the value of it. In the end, light prevails, light goes on. And I think so much is being able to look past darkness and seeing the eternal light of our experiences. And that's something that I forgot in those moments in which I took my own life is I just saw darkness and I wasn't able to see past what I was going through. And so I think so much of this is re-remembering our eternity, re-remembering that, that light and being able to integrate it through different challenges that I do believe that we chart within this lifetime. And, you know, we're able to do that, you know, we really turn a corner. But it's only through kind of these challenges and moments when we are, are kind of feeling heavy by by those moments in which we could be able to really integrate and evolve. And so I was very much inspired to do regressive therapy to kind of speak to that next child who might have had this experience, might have had to live with the trauma of it, and maybe no one that they knew that they could talk to. And so being able to hold space through anyone in my path through this work was of pivotal importance as well as getting over the stigmatization of the young infant that I portrayed to the world to kind of redefine that in the eyes of those around them as a real true infinite soul you know, that you have in your home. You know, that's so much more than the external presentation, you know, of it. Oh, that's lovely. So for those who are frightened of death, I know that you work with people who've got anxiety associated with the fear of death. Can you, can you speak a little about that? Yeah, you know, it's quite rational. And being a near-death experiencer, I too, you know, at times have those fears, even though I had a knowing of it. In a sense, the mind, when we were too much into it, could really be such a tricky place and create something out of nothing. And so I do believe the soul comes out of the windows of our inner depths of our being and not so much in the left brain. I do believe the moment that we're able to remember ourselves is not a physical being, but a, but a soul, eternal being we're able to look at death in another way, but it's perfectly rational to understand some of those fears. When you see your body and that's all that you see yourself as to then, you know, think that, okay, once I'm gone, I just go under some dark black hole and my body's six feet under and that's where I'll live forever. You know, I could perfectly understand that. And so the moment that you're able to understand yourself as more than your body and sometimes different moments in our life might have that and, you know, getting a reading from yourself or a reputable medium to kind of give evidential, you know, framework of it could kind of help people out with those fears as well as past self regression kind of work. But I think the moment that you see yourself a little bit differently will transform your relationship and engagement, you know, with, with death and the eternity of the soul. Uh, but it's through direct experiences that will transform this, ideology. Tell me about God or your experience of God. Does he exist? Is he there in the other realm? Is there a universal force? What did, what was your experience of that? What I'll say is within our world, there's an external portrayal of God, you know, whether that be different religions and different organizations and people really hold on to those different dynamics. What I learned in my near-death experience was God never left me. God was always there. God was in my own backyard. It wasn't in the hands of monopolizations of, you know, a wealthy preacher or organization or or movement, Uh, but rather it was a part of myself that I was forever connected to. Within our lifetime and within my near-death experience, I understand that I, I had an awareness of what I would call, you know, for people to understand God, 
But that dynamic, that relationship is forever evolving. And so the more that I guess I become evolved in my experience, the capacity to integrate and understand the divinity grows. And so, you know, God, I view as a, as a part of ourselves that's eternal. And the brighter that diamond shines, the brighter our connected to that eternal light becomes engaged. And I view this lifetime as very much as a way to get higher. I view God as an eternal frequency of vibration, of light. And so the more higher that we vibrate, the more higher we're able to understand the forever eternal dynamic of God. It's not through the um, part of our left brain that truly analyze God. It's more of a, of a feeling. It's more of an inner connection. But, you know, there's many trickles of consciousness of God. You know, God is not just one particular light. I view all as God in many forms come as trickle of consciousness, you know, and there's kind of like, you know, teardrops of it, whether that be the angelic beings that I saw, the spiritual guides, or even going into nature and just connecting, you know, to a beautiful body of water. And so I think this lifetime is very much about remembering God and being able to see it in some of the most difficult places and remembering that all has a spark in them. Sometimes that though that might be covered by rubble, or, or, or hardship or difficulty, and they connect to the personality and the ego over the eternal divinity within. That's so beautifully described, Jacob. Makes me want to go there. You talk of angelic beings and spiritual guides. Can you say a little bit more about them? I, I'm interested in those who inhabit the other realms as far as your experience goes. You know, I see a lot of people out there and they'll be able to describe their guides very clearly, their names, their genders, everything like that. There are people who are able to do that. What I would say is when I had my near-death experience, my spiritual guides were right literally in front of me. I was able to see them to the sides of me and it was a clear picture. It wasn't a thought energy. It was very much another realm and dimension that I was in when I was able to see them and it wasn't through thought. Throughout my lifetime, I can't say that I know their exact names to this day, but it doesn't disvalidate guides. I, I certainly think that some people are, you know, within their lifetime are able to really have heightened degrees of connectivity to them, but it doesn't, doesn't dismiss your rapport with them. You know, for instance, guides could come to us in our own language that we're able to understand, whether that be feelings or messages or just hearing words. And so just because you don't know their exact names or exact, you know, past lives or life stories does not invalidate this. And so certainly through meditation, you know, I try to kind of re-remember, you know, my guides and just to kind of hear their names. But I think everyone gets involved in specific, you know, specifics, but not the part that might be able to help them. You know, just if you're, if you're feeling low, if you just feel kind of like a tingle on you or a gentle tap on your shoulder, they're all around us and it's an evolving process. And so I think for viewers, I could join you in that if you don't necessarily know everything about them. It doesn't discredit or disvalidate you, and it shouldn't be disempowering for you to integrate guides in your life. What I would say is I, when I saw my guides, I was quite ashamed and embarrassed, more so with how I forgot that they were around me and that they were with me. And it was a male and female guide, and I saw their faces and instantaneously I knew. And so what I'd say, they're, they're always around us, they're always by us. You know, some guides have other carnations. Some, this is the only carnation they don't carnate before. But, you know, the way I see it is they are the closest thing that we know to our own soul. 
they're almost like a close extension of our of ourself and there's there's such deep deep karmic ties that it's just right outside the core of our soul as our as our guides and soul family and team the one thing i'll say it's not an isolative experience it's such a deepened connection just beyond how and who we see ourselves i view this life as very much a team effort and we're never alone it's a collective effort what would you say is the purpose of our life here why are we on the earth plane if we're immortal beings belonging to this beautiful world, connected to all these wonderful, loving beings. Why do we come here to the earth plane? Having my near-death experience, I understood that the soul has an urge. The soul doesn't have needs, right? It's not dependent on needs, but it has desires. And those desires are to create impact or to create change or to create cohesion, and so I think really within relationships, sometimes we gravitate to our opposites within partners, within different experiences. I think the earth plane in a way is almost kind of the opposite of the other side where there is conflict, there is division, there is hardship, there are wars. It's such a contrary energy field than when you go to the field of high vibrational love on the other side. And so I think, you know, we could be there for eternity. And at least from my experience and remembering kind of life between lives, it does get a little bit kind of boring in a way. I I at least have a restless soul in a way, and I come back pretty quickly from carnations. And so I, I kind of get bored there, but the soul has a desire to serve. The soul has a desire to kind of create an impact. The body has a desire to take. The soul has a desire to give. And so I do believe really it's it's finding ways to remember that part of ourselves and to really kind of embody the higher truths of the other side to here on this earth plane and to create less of, um, of a gap between the two, thus creating heaven on earth. Because we're truly not earth beings, we're spiritual beings having this earth human experience. And so not only do we re-remember our true eternity, but we're here to really integrate that, you know, into our own life and the lives of our others so that we don't have to wait until we die to have heaven. You know, we're kind of creating it right here, right now. So it's your different works that that veil becomes even thinner. Having my NDE, I clearly understood that heaven is, yes, it's a high lofty place that you could certainly tap into, but it's also right in front of us. You know, the angelic realm, it's just a simple dial that's a little bit above this. And it's right here, as a filter in front of us. And so it's all connected and really able to kind of bring that higher energy here on earth and to really evolve the body, to evolve the earth plane. And that's a part of the desire, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. That's that's one kind of way. And I know in my next book that I'm working on, it's kind of a book on the wisdom of Jacob's ladder. And since my name is Jacob and I had my experience on a ladder in a park to a slide and so that is more of a of a tool book and a guidebook for readers, and it should come out within the next two years, as kind of steps up the ladder to bring in that light and bring it downward into this earth plane, you know. And so that's a direct lesson and guidebook, you know, for people to bring heaven on earth. So. Do you think there's other places we go, not just earth? Do you think there are other places we can incarnate in? Absolutely. You know, I can't say that I learned that from my NDE per se. But 
I think if you you think of a limited God, you think of a limited dimension when you go to on the other side. I'd like to view the exciting part of God as, as unlimited and I have constant curiosity to understand other forms of existence and other dimensions of the eternal ray of God. I can't say firsthand direct experience of being, you know, on, you know, other dimensions. I've had, you know, kind of like encounters with what you would call as a, as a kind of like a UFO type being or, you know, being of higher intelligence. I certainly believe that. I do believe our vibration, our vibe will attract our tribe when we go into the other side and everyone has their own bliss, so to speak. So everyone's eternity is a little bit different and it vibrates kind of specifically to to you and your soul family. But as we go on, there's an eternal kind of reservoir of, of depth and uh, heightened awareness in different dimensions on the other side that we could connect to. It's, it's it, it, Infinite is not finite. <laughs> I firmly believe so. Wow, that's fantastic. Jacob, it's been so great talking to you. So Life After Breath is the name of your book. Where can people purchase it? So right now people could purchase the paperback or Kindle version. I'm working on an audio version soon, you know, for people who might be visually impaired or difficult, have a difficult time reading. Uh, but it's it's on Amazon. It's Jacob Cooper, LCSW, Life After Breath. There's another book with that same title that I had no idea of. And it just kind of shows you when we think we're creative and we think we're innovative, someone else might have that. But, uh, you know, this book really spoke to my experience where I suffocated and I was still able to experience life after breath. Yes. And I hope to kind of speak it to the times when people are feeling quite exhausted or breathless to kind of rejuvenate, reinvigorate a new sense of breath in people so that yeah. they, you know, propel themselves and usher in this new year of change. So that could all be found on Amazon if anyone's interested worldwide. You know, take a look at it, write a review, share it. It's it's all in, incredibly, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't thank you enough for, for, for the movement that the book has been having. For yeah, yourself. I mean, it's brilliant. And it is really important for those that are listening to do go and buy the book and review the book because reviews do help move it up the charts. And that means more people will have access to it right. and all the um, beautiful information that it contains. So, Jacob, I know that you've got a beautiful website. So if people wanted to come to you for perhaps some healing or hypnotherapy or a past life regression therapy session, I imagine that you're working online at the moment, like the rest yes. of the world? Yes, worldwide Zoom sessions. I could do Zoom calls or Zoom videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, United States, I could do phone calls. Yeah, so my website is jacoblcooper.com. It's jacoblcooper.com. And you'll also be able to find my book page, Life After Breath, there. And you could purchase you know, my book from there as well as look at some different reviews, including a testimonial and endorsement from Dr. Raymond Moody and New York Times bestselling author, Anita Morjani. So um, I know you've got some beautiful people supporting your book. And Anita's going to be sharing my book today as we speak right now on her social media accounts. So feel free oh. to take a look at that. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, good on Anita. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, um, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on and so willingly sharing all of the things that you've been through and for having such an interesting discussion about what lies beyond this. Uh, current existence for all of us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I hope this talk was helpful for viewers. Thank you so much, Jacob Cooper. My honor. Thank you.
Well, that was Jacob Cooper talking about his new book, Life After Breath, available worldwide on Amazon. All the links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes, plus a full transcription. And those are over on my website, www.antheato.com, A-N-N-T-H-E-A-T-O, So head over there and you can pick everything up. If you're enjoying this podcast and getting a lot out of each episode, I wonder if I could ask you to give me a little payback. It will maybe take five minutes of your time. Can I ask you to go to iTunes or Stitcher, search for the Psychic Matters podcast and scroll down to where it says leave a written review. These really, really do help move the podcast up the podcast charts, which means it then becomes more visible and more people across the world who may benefit from it will have access. I had a wonderful review this week from uh, someone calling themselves MTN Guys, M-T-N-G-U-Y-S, my maybe that's short for mountain guys who knows but it was a wonderful review and it says fantastic podcast five-star review Anne has that powerful blend of personality and wisdom that sets her above most others doing podcasts i'm so grateful she is on the scene in this work and offering insights and perspectives that help me and many others to not feel alone in the journey thank you so much for leaving that wonderful review and for your kind words. It's just really heartwarming to read things like that and really does make all the hard work very, very worthwhile. So if you too feel you could leave an honest review for me, please do head over to iTunes or Stitcher and do that and I'll be very, very grateful. Have a fantastic couple of weeks, everybody. Please stay safe out there. And until next time, my name is Anne Teato and thank you for listening to Psychic Matters.